If you want to take your Bibles out and open them up to the book of John, I know we read from there this morning. We'll be reading from there again this, this afternoon. Uh, several weeks ago, some of you all have heard about this. I got a knock at my door, and a couple of young men who were elders, uh, missionaries for the Mormon Church of Jesus Christ of the Latter-day Saints were at my door, wanted to know if I would be willing to talk with them about uh, Jesus Christ, uh, to which I was very thankful for, invited them in, and we sat for quite a while and, and talked about our beliefs and about the Bible. And at the end of the day, I don't really think that, um, that either one of us really converted the other. I enjoyed our discussion, I enjoyed our time, and I invited them back to study more with me. They were uh, a good group of young men. Uh, but there's a lot of things that they said, a lot of things that we discussed at that time that simply uh, aren't, aren't found in scriptures, and, and we, we had to disagree on these things. But there was one thing that we could very firmly agree on. One thing that they said that was spot on. They noticed that one of the reasons so many people have a hard time believing in God is because there's just so many churches teaching so many different things, and every single one of them is claiming to be right. Everyone says, I've got the truth, and I've got the truth. Uh, and they said, we, we believe this is why so many people are confused today about who God is. How can we know when so many people claim to be saying the, the, the truth, but they say different things? I can agree with them here. I can agree with their logic. It is, it is in fact, logical for me, as I said with these two young men, to agree that either I'm right and they're wrong, or they're right and I'm wrong, or maybe possibly both of us are wrong, but it makes no sense for us to both look at each other saying two very different things and say, you know what, I think we're both right. That would be madness. And that has caused many to look at God and say, you know what, I just, I don't think that this is for me. I don't think that this can possibly be true. And I don't think that this is what Jesus wants. In John chapter 17, towards the end of Jesus' life, just before he goes off to the garden to pray and is betrayed by Judas, he says a prayer and as he prays to the Father, he asks for something very specific. Notice what he says in verse 22 of John 17. It says, The glory which you, he's speaking to God, the glory which you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, just as we are one. I and them and you and me, that they may be perfected in unity, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you have loved me. Jesus talked about unity before he even left this earth, and he said that is going to be very important for the world to come to believe in God and to know who the true believers of God is. Whenever there is a lack of unity, it speaks to the world about God, and it says, I'm not sure that this can be trusted. So what do we do? What do we do when there's so much religious confusion, so many people saying different things? I want to share with you just a couple of passages these are passages that are very important to me whenever I think about this very topic. These are passages that me and Ryder studied together the night before he was baptized. Um, and these are passages that I think we do well to keep close to the front of our mind. In John chapter 14, John chapter 14, we're going to kind of work backwards through John this afternoon. I want you to think about what Jesus says here, the first six verses of John 14. Do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. For I go to prepare a place for you. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And you know the way 
where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you're going. How do we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Jesus is discussing heaven in these passages. But notice that those who are following him, they're just like you and me today. They're just like people that say, that's an amazing place. That's somewhere that I want to be, but there's so much that I don't know about it. How can I honestly know if I'm on the way to heaven? That's what Thomas is asking there. He says, okay, this sounds great, Jesus, but we don't even know about the place that you're going. We don't know where it is. How can we possibly know the way? And Jesus' answer to him is so comforting. He says, Thomas, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He says, no one can come to the Father. And we know the Father resides in, uh, resides in heaven. So he says, nobody can come to the Father. Nobody can come to the heaven without coming through me. This is one of these awesome statements that Jesus, that had such an impact on the life of his followers. One, it meant that we can know for certain we are on the right way. Thomas's question is, how can we know? Jesus' response is, by knowing me. I am the way. You can know, you can have absolute certainty that you are on the path to the Father when you're following Christ. But notice what else he says. He doesn't just say, I am the way. He emphasizes, or I would emphasize, the fact that he says, I am the way. He didn't answer Thomas saying, you can follow me or you can follow some other guy that maybe is going to come on the scene in a couple hundred years or you can follow this really good teacher over here or you can follow your heart. That's a really popular one today. Just follow your heart. Jesus said, I am the way. And that means I am the only way. If you want to know what truth is, if you want to have real life, if you want to come to the Father, there is only one way and that is Jesus Christ. And he seems to be getting to the same point earlier in the gospel in John chapter 10. In John 10, he talks about being the shepherd. And listen to what he says there. Starting in verse 1. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter by the door into the fold of the sheep but climbs up some other way, he is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is a shepherd of the sheep. To him the doorkeeper opens and the sheep hear his voice and he calls his own sheep by name and he leads them out. When he puts forth all his own, he goes ahead of them, and the sheep follow him because they know his voice. A stranger they simply will not follow, but will flee from him because they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech, Jesus spoke to them, but they did not understand what these things were were which he had been saying to them. So Jesus said to them again, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. If anyone enters through me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. This is another impactful passage. This is another passage, again, where Jesus is discussing those who follow him, remembering that he is the only way to the Father, but he's saying, I'm not the only way that you can choose to walk in. If you think back to Matthew chapter 7, towards the end of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, Enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction. And there are many who enter through it. He says, there's another way you can go, and a lot of people are going to take that path. Continuing on in verse 14, he said, For the gate is small and the way is narrow that leads to life, and there are few who find it. Since he is the only way that leads to the Father, any other way leads to destruction. 
And here Jesus is revealing that those who follow him are walking towards salvation. He's the way to the Father. He's the way to life. He's the door that opens to salvation. If we want to go to heaven, we want to be saved, there's no other way but Jesus Christ. What he's saying is, is a preacher somewhere can't do that for you. A pastor can't do that. Your, your parents can't do that. Your friends, your, your loved ones. Only Jesus Christ can bring you to salvation. Only he can bring you to the Father. And so Christ is asking us, when he prays in John 17 for unity, he's praying that we be unified in him as he is unified in the Father. And that gets back to our point. How do I know? How can I know that I'm on the right path with all of these different people saying different things? How do I know what the truth is? What does that look like? Someone looking for the truth, entering through the door of Christ, walking in the way of Christ. Well, fortunately for us, the Bible gives us a very clear picture of that, a very wonderful picture in the book of Acts. The last, uh, the, the, really the last scripture that I want us to, to look at this afternoon, Acts chapter 8, you have this beautiful picture of a guy that, that is busy looking for the truth. Read with me verses 25 through 39. So when they had solemnly testified and spoken the word of the Lord, they started back to Jerusalem and were preaching the gospel to many villages of the Samaritans. And so this is, this is Philip and some of the, the apostles. They're preaching the gospel outside of Jerusalem. They've, they've been spread out. In verse 26, an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, saying, Get up and go south to the road that descends from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert road. So he got up and went. And there was an Ethiopian eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all of her treasure, and he had come to Jerusalem to worship. And he was returning and sitting in his chariot and was reading the prophet Isaiah. Then the spirit said to Philip, Go up and join this chariot. Philip ran and ran up and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and said, Do you understand what you're reading? And he said, Well, how could I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of scripture which he was reading was this. He was led as a sheep to slaughter, and as a lamb before its shears is silent, so he does not open his mouth. In humiliation his judgment was taken away. Who will relate his generation for his life is removed from the earth? The eunuch answered Philip. He said, please, please tell me. Of whom does the prophet say this, of himself or of someone else? And Philip opened his mouth and began from this scripture, he preached Jesus to him. As they went along the road, he came to some water. The eunuch said, look, water, what prevents me from being baptized? And Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And he ordered the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip as well as the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water... The spirit of the Lord snatched Philip away, and the eunuch no longer saw him, but went on his way rejoicing. Now, this is an interesting account of a man, and, and, and there's some things that we know about this guy just from this reading alone. One, he says that he's an Ethiopian eunuch. He is a man that, that comes from the land of Ethiopia, and sometimes we read that and say, well, then he's not a Jew. Well, that's not entirely true. The Jews have been spread out at this point. He may have been a Jew. He may have simply just been someone who was proselytized, someone that converted to Judaism. But whatever, whatever we know for certain, he's a worshiper of God. He's a worshiper of Yahweh. And so he's traveled a great distance to come and to worship Jehovah in Jerusalem, to go where the temple is at and offer up sacrifices and learn. And, and in this time, we've shown that he's invested in this. This has probably cost him a great deal of time and money. And now he's on his way home and we see he's a student of God's word. 
Can you possibly look more religious than this guy, by the way? This guy has very likely converted or, or, or at the very least went a long distance that he can come and worship God and now he's publicly reading God's word. We would look at that guy today. You see him in the coffee shop, see somebody reading their Bible and you go, oh man, that guy, he's very religious. Surely he's on the right way to heaven. Not according to Jesus. Here, Jesus, if we remember, says that I am the way to, the, to the heaven. I am the way to the Father. I am the door to salvation. This guy doesn't even know who Christ is. He has no idea who Jesus is. And, and, and we can't blame him because he's not learned any of these things. He's reading Isaiah 53. And anyone with just a slight understanding of Jesus would probably make this connection early on. I, I want to read the, the verse that he's reading to you in its entirety. It's a short chapter. He says, who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed, he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, he like a sheep that, uh, and like a sheep that before it shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgressions of my people? And they made his grave with the wicked and with a rich man in his death, although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth, yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief when his soul makes an offering for guilt. He shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hands. Out of the anguish of his soul he shall see and be satisfied by his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous and he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore I will divide him a portion with the many and he shall divide the spoil with the strong because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors yet he bore the sins of many and making intercession for the transgressors. It's no surprise to me that the eunuch, when he's asked, do you understand what you're reading? Went, nope. <laughs> Somebody's got to explain this to me. That was a whole lot. Even though we, we, we know now this is talking about Christ, someone that has no knowledge of Christ is going to say, that's confusing. But you know, there's a few things that we notice in that reading. He says, he carried our sorrows. He was pierced for our transgressions. When we went on our own ways, the Lord laid on him our sin. This guy didn't know that because he hadn't heard of Jesus. So what did Philip do? He did exactly what we talked about this morning. He evangelized. He said, let me tell you a little bit about him. And this is where things get so interesting to me in Acts chapter 8. Because in this time, as he's reading, you see in verse 35, he began from that scripture preaching Jesus to him. And something happens at verse 36. Something happens as he tries to tell him, let me tell you about this Jesus Christ and why you should follow him. Verse 36, the man says, wait a minute. There's water. Why can't I be baptized? Now, I just read the entire chapter of, of Isaiah 53 that he's reading from. I read the whole thing to you. He doesn't one time mention baptism there. Why did the eunuch ask about baptism? 
In preaching Jesus, Philip must have told him about Christ's death on the cross. That's discussed in Isaiah 53. Certainly this is the point of this. It's prophesying that's going to happen. He must have told him how he was buried in the grave, but on the third day he rose from death to life. And you have to imagine that he told him some of his final words on, the, on this world. Matthew 28, verse 19, Jesus told his disciples, Go, make other disciples, make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. In Mark 16, 16, he said to his disciples, He who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who is disbelieved shall be condemned. Whatever he told this eunuch, the reaction of the eunuch after learning about Jesus was, I need to follow him. I need to be buried as he was buried. I need to be raised to new life. He said, I need to be baptized. That's the same message that Peter preached in Acts chapter 2. He told the Jews there that had crucified Christ. When they said, what do we do? He said, repent and be baptized so you can have your sins forgiven. Is that the only thing involved in following Jesus? Of course not. No, there are many other things. Philippians chapter 2 says, Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Romans 10 says, With the mouth a man confesses unto, unto salvation. And in 1 Corinthians 15, 58, Paul told the Corinthians there, he said, Be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. There's a lot of things that go into following Christ. But it's a simple message. It's not a very convoluted message. And this is what Jesus prayed that people would be united over. But so oftentimes today it gets twisted. There are those that today that say, like these young men that I studied with, they said that salvation to, for one to be saved, we must receive the Holy Spirit by the laying on of hands by a member of the order of the Melchizedek priesthood. Some of those words are in the Bible, but most of it's not. There are those today that say, well, when you, when you have this feeling come upon you, you are saved. And then others say, well, no, no, you have to say a prayer first, and this prayer, through this prayer you'll be saved. And then others go completely and say, you know what, there's nothing you can do to be saved. God picks you and saves you. All of these are different. All of these are pe that, that confuse people. And they say, well, why should I believe this? But what did Jesus say? What did his, his inspired apostles say? They said, believe him. Confess him. Be baptized to him. Follow him. Because he is the way. And you will be saved. The young men that I spoke with the other day were absolutely right. This is what's caused so much confusion in our world. And Satan has been trying to destroy the church since the moment it began. And one of the best tools that he's come up with to do that is just simply put out more information. More information that doesn't come from the Father. More information by people that oftentimes I believe mean well, but confusing others. We will need to look at that and we need to ask ourselves, what, what can I do? What's the solution for all this? And I want you to know the answer today to that is Jesus. Do we know Jesus today? Are we following Jesus today? If that's our desire, if our desire is to know more about him so that we can follow him, so we can enter through him into heaven, that's our desire here at Lake Street is to help others do that. And if we can help you do that today, we would love to talk with you about it. Won't you please let that be known? You can come forward right now as we stand and sing the song of invitation.